Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to a very special crossover episode of the Theater Podcast. I'm Alan Seals, and actually the episode you're about to hear comes from my second podcast that I do with my lovely, amazing, smart, and hilarious co-host, Heather Vickery. The podcast is called Was It Chance? You can find it everywhere podcasts are found. It's all about how creatives manifest their destiny, more or less. It's actually really cool about... uh, the stories behind people embracing these chance opportunities that at the time may have seemed actually negative or uh, meaningless and then turned into these massive, massive opportunities and made them successful. So so the reason that I dropped this episode into the theater podcast feed is because the guest, Ian Eisendrath, is one of the guys who created the original Broadway version of Come From Away. It led him to a 2018 Olivier Award, of course, 2017 Grammy nomination. He served as the music supervisor, executive music producer, and arranger for the show, and the Apple TV version, which of course is the pro shot that we have on the internet. Now he's working on some new projects with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, and he's got Disney's live action Snow White coming up on his resume with Rachel Ziegler and Gal Gadot. And I mean, this dude's just everywhere. So I wanted you to hear this. It's amazing. So please enjoy this crossover episode of Was It Chance with Ian Eisendrath. I just want to always have you know, unlimited fulfilling projects. And it, it's not about success or money, it's about, I love this and I would be, I don't want this to ever end. You know, starting in college, there was this scarcity complex. And, and I have it to this day, even though I'm busier than I can handle, to be honest, but there's still this idea of, well, what if I never get to do this again? <laughs> everyone, welcome to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking intentional risk for your creative life. And it's a special crossover episode for the theater podcast. I'm Alan Seals. And I'm Heather Vickery. Alan and I started off as two perfect strangers who met by chance and embraced opportunity. Listen in as we chat with other successful people about the risks they've taken to put themselves on a path to creative success. Alan, 
How are you today? I'm good. I got my sexy hangover <laughs> voice you do. going on. You do. And, uh, who's with us today? No, I haven't been drinking. I haven't been drinking. Oh, who's with us today? We have none other than Ian Eisendrath, who uh, has held various roles on the original Broadway version of Come From Away, which led him to a 2018 Olivier Award and a 2017 Grammy nomination. And then after the show's successful run on Broadway, Ian then music supervised the Apple TV film version, which just recently came out. It was recorded live on stage here in New York. Well, here for me, not here for you. <laughs> he served as music director, executive music producer, and arranger, and his next projects now include a Disney live action musical, which I can't wait to get into, and Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which looks just so cute with Mr. Sean Mendez as I Lyle and Lyle. The crocodile. Yes. <laughs> Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So good to be here. We appreciate you getting up very early on the West Coast to do this with us. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. You'll have to forgive <laughs> me if it starts slow, but we'll pick it up. It's okay. Well, you've got sexy hangover voice too. You yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> What's your excuse? Uh, did, did you drink? I uh, No, I flew in from London. A day ago, we just wrapped. That's a good excuse. A live action film, and um, now um, in LA, and dove right into a mix for a film coming out this fall. So I just haven't slept. And you've got so much freaking going on, and you're just you're flying all over the world now, doing live action stuff, and now you're prepping for Lyle Lyle Crocodile coming out this October, I believe, if memory serves. Um, but I want to back up a little bit and start with. Uh, Basically, the the intro to what got you into music was there a specific touchstone, a moment, a chance that mm. all of a sudden you were like, "This is speaking to me. I need to follow this path." Yeah, um, it was really vivid. I, you know, I was a kid that was like really creative and interested in a lot of things, but definitely had not found a place. And I even, I think my mom was even mm. like a little bit like. What is this kid gonna do? Because he's clearly not like gonna <laughs> just go hang out and play with friends. But also, I don't think there was any apparent skill, talent, or potential. Maybe uh, you know, I think it was just more like you know, this is someone who clearly has a lot of creativity and um, you know, decently smart, and there's an intensity to me as a kid. And then I went to see musicals and I mm. was young and I mm -hmm. saw it's so cheesy but I saw Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat on the West End and I think I was hmm. maybe eight or nine uh, and it just it transformed my understanding of what's possible with this thing called music that I loved I'd seen local theater and just seeing something at that level at that age and honestly I think Joseph was perfect because it's not a really challenging piece to engage with. And I was able to, <laughs> no. but, it, but it's super, you know, think about being a young kid and it's like, oh my gosh, there's colors, there's lights, there's scenery, there's gigantic orchestration. And, um, you know, the melodies were catchy and beautiful. And I, yeah, it was just one of those moments where I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. And there was a really, really excellent local theater scene in Olympia, Washington, where I grew up. Like, shockingly mm -hmm. amazing um, when I look back on it, because there was this semi-professional theater, semi-professional because they would use some non-union actors and also use union actors, uh, but they really did 
high level work. Um, the production values were really excellent. They would do really adventurous, challenging plays and musicals. And so I got to go. This Fifth Avenue. No, this is an Olympia. So Fifth this Avenue is called Harlequin Productions. Oh, oh. And oh, just, gotcha. you know, it was a theater that existed in town. And then there was this thing called Capitol Playhouse. And Capitol Playhouse is or was this um, a very intense, maybe too intense, training ground for young theater artists. And we would sign up for a summer camp, and it wasn't cheap but you would suddenly be part of this almost professional level production all made up of kids. Like I look back on it and like the scenery, the lighting, the costumes, the orchestra, what was expected of us was so high level, Hmm. sometimes higher level than stuff I encountered in like the very beginning of my professional career. Um, But it was also, it was also (laughs) frightening uh, because the mm-hmm. teachers, directors, who I learned so much from were also really demanding, really intense, um, probably wanted to be working with adults at times because they had such a clear vision <laughs> and a clear sense of what this could be. But that really benefited us because it it challenged yeah. us. And I I remember being 10 years old. Uh, they did like a stunt casting thing. You know, I think they saw that I had some potential and they're like, we're going to cast you as Coco, who is the lead in the Mikado. Um, And, you know, everyone else was 16, 15 that were playing the leading parts. But I got to be in that. And then I just remember week two, watching the music director, a man named Joseph Goodrich, who still is in New York and doing uh, cabaret work and singing and writing and um, opera and he was just this phenomenal talent. And I watched him do his job as music director. And I was like, oh, that's me. And so I'm 10 years old. I see this mm. guy. He wears all the hats I want to wear. Um, he's, I think he is probably in college at this point, if not just graduated. And I love that he was the person bringing together everything that had to do with music, storytelling, acting, overall just how the show is going to flow and obviously a music director is not responsible for the acting per se but you end up touching it so much as like oh this is the person in the center of it all and literally in the orchestra pit and so right then at age 10 i was like this is what i'm going to do and i inappropriately started music directing things like starting at you know school <laughs> you're like i'm going to take your job now <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i did i started at schools i Started just sort of asking every opportunity to music direct possible. And um, I also started directing just because I was like, well, I want to do this too. And when I was 14, um, this Harlequin Productions, I might have been 15, 15, which was this semi-professional theater. um, I just wrote to them and I said, hey, I would really love to be your music director for this upcoming musical. which I look back and was like so precocious. And um, the really lovely artistic director had sort of seen me grow up. She was like, you know what? Let's do this. And so for all of high school, I actually ended up having a a part-time that felt like full-time job being the resident music director at Harlequin Productions, where I was working with adults, professionals, doing some really challenging musicals like Assassins, and Pippin, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, 
Pump Boys and Dinettes creating new shows. And, you know, it was just, it was this magical time for me because I didn't know to be afraid. And all I knew mm. to do was just do. Did, did you already have uh, any, any background with, um, with playing any instruments or reading music or anything? Because it, it sounds like, you know, you went to see Joseph when you were eight or nine and then started performing as an actor when you were 10 right. and then in, and then inappropriately taking over <laughs> musical direction but at some point there was yeah i actually started in there yeah i started in piano at age seven um so okay. i that was always an intense era study for me and i also immediately after that first experience where i'm like i'm going to be a music director i started in weekly voice lessons and um mm. theory and, you know, just sort of learned everything I could. I love that you said, I didn't know to be scared. What's so perfect? I have four children. Listeners know that. I mean, how how old are they? Let me talk about it. No, I, I have three. My oldest, do you have three? I have 17, 16, 12, and nine. Oh, wow. And some of them are innately scared. And some of them don't know to be scared. And I'm wondering if you were just born with it. <laughs> Or was yeah, it maybe well, like, I mean, look, were you just I, born with it or did your parents guide right. you down that sort of no fear path? Well, two things. I connect with what you're saying because my three kids are 10, 13, and 16. And something that I have grieved um, was like the moment that I experienced my first child sort of start to become shy. And I'm not even going to say afraid, but aware of themselves in a way that yeah. is like, like you're saying, it's innate. Um, and... I think I went through the same process. I think that I I very much, I think my parents did really encourage me. And I know they did and believe in me. And my dad was this tennis coach who loved musicals and music. And he'd actually studied dance at UCLA with my mom, who'd done her master's work in modern dance. And so th there was there was absolutely mm -hmm. a fearlessness about the arts. And like no one was like, oh, by the way, this is unstable. Um, like, <laughs> you know, nice. to a fault probably, <laughs> um, but, but then, you know, so I was fearless, but I, I very much for me, when I went to college was the day that fear awareness that you are not the only fish in the pond, mm. um, it consumed mm. me. And I would say that's something I struggle with to this day is that and it, it comes from a passion and love for what I do. I, I. I just want to always have, you know, unlimited fulfilling projects. And it, it's not about sort of success or money. It's about, I love this and I would be, I don't want this to ever end. And mm. I think that, you know, starting in college, there was this scarcity complex. And, and I have it to this day, even though I'm busier than I can handle, to be honest, but there's still this idea of, well, what if I never get to do this again? I walked into the mix stage at Sony. We are doing a giant film called Spirited, which is starring Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds, Octavia Spencer. I'm the wow. executive music director. We've been working on it for a year and a half. And that was the first day in the mix stage. And there's so much work to do. But that was my first thing is, oh my gosh, I don't ever want this mix to end because it, there's these incredible people I get to work with, which I derive a lot of joy from the team yeah. around me. That's like, I think the, one of the main reasons I'm there. And then just the, the level of work and the precision. And so I, I, I am now afraid, I would say. And it's something I'm always working on in my life. 
But as a young person, it really served me that I wasn't. That's interesting to me. So my whole work, my professional work is around embracing our fear and making brave choices versus um, attempting to be fearless. And I, I so honor that you feel that fear. You know, when we have so much passion and love for something, it induces fear for just what you said, like, I don't want to lose this. But also, I think it informs how you go all in and why you're so busy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And look, it's like, as we all know, balance in life is so challenging. And mm -hmm. I, I acknowledge I'm too busy. And some of that is probably driven a little bit by the desire to just keep doing this and always do this. But you're right. It's a it's I don't agree in that phrase. There's no love in fear. Um, because I actually think there's a lot of love yes, there in is. fear. Yeah. And and mm -hmm. I love that you're saying embracing it because like if I didn't have that Yes, I would be passionate. Yes, I would, I think, do great work. But there, there's that driver. It's like, yeah. as you said, fear can actually be something that helps us push a little further than we might if we didn't have that sense of how special something is, how limited something is, how unrepeatable something is. Um, I just left London. I lived there for six and a half months. And I'm... I was so aware as I took off and looked out at just the beautiful English country. I'm like, wow, I, I will most likely be back here soon, but it won't be that. And so, like, mm, you know, I'm so glad that I really was able to get everything possible out of that experience of filming that live action musical and living there. And again, the people like that's the thing is like you'll never have that combination of people together again. Yeah at that time and place. And that's unrepeatable. That's that's so amazing that you're getting these opportunities to work with with individuals that previously seem sort of out of reach, I guess, uh, more or less. And and I'm interested to know your take on, you know, working with Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell, Octavia Spencer. Um, from what I know of what you're doing, the only public information about the uh, uh, live action is that it's Snow White. I think that's all we can talk I about. Think, yeah, you so can say I'll Snow White. That. They announced <laughs> Gal Gadot, um, Rachel Zegler. Yes. Oh, um, wow. you know, it's right. an incredible cast. Like it is. Is Gal Gadot incredible. Snow White? That's what they announced. Uh, that would be amazing. I bet she'd be great. Um, but she's the evil queen. <laughs> the evil queen, <laughs> yes. also amazing. Yes, and she's Rachel my, Zegler. She's my girl crush. Oh my gosh, she's. I mean. I'm a lesbian, so there are lots That's, of girl crushes, but she's my one. She's my free, she's my free pass. She's, un <laughs> she's unreal. Gallery she's really unreal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like one of the most joyful people to work with. So my question was going to be that when, when you're talking about embracing fear and going into these places, uh, like Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell specifically, I don't think of as singers. I don't think that, uh, you know, you're going through all these, these things with people that are out of their own comfort zone. So if you first level, are you in your comfort zone? Is there any sort of fear that accompanies all of a sudden being with company yeah. like this? And then how, how are you facilitating, uh, easing their fears if they have any of right. being like, hey, am I am I good enough to be here? Because even though the biggest star to the smallest star, everyone that I know always has a little bit of imposter syndrome. Yeah, isn't that, it's amazing. Everyone, everyone, the most mm -hmm. talented people you ever meet. I, yeah. I so agree with that. Um, so look, I think there's two things. Am I bringing fear to these, basically starting these processes with each of these actors? Um, the answer is yes. 
but it's like it's actually no matter it's any person whose work your responsibility is to yeah. support enhance sh help shape co-partner to create you you need to have a language and a vibe and establish a way to work and i think what the my fear coming into that is i know that i have a very very detailed specific high level of expectation that doesn't flow with just do your thing yeah. and the goal is we want you to do your thing and we want you to be you but we are dealing with music we're dealing with lyrics and these things are very specific they happen in time you only hear a lyric once so where you breathe the words you accent the vowels you use the way you hit your consonants that can transform a performance um so for me it's like i'm always afraid of like it is sort of it's a very younger part of me that's like are they going to trust me are they going to like me are they going to be willing to go on this journey with me and i know and i've been told by people i work with that i you know am probably more demanding and get in there and ask for more detail precision um specificity than most and you know like someone like ryan reynolds that made me and will ferrell it's like are they gonna be like dude i'm ryan reynolds i'm will ferrell like <laughs> chill out you're lucky that i'm singing um and <laughs> you know octavia spencer will ferrell and ryan reynolds it's like they they don't have to do this and they could very much and gal gadot is the same thing be like yeah i'm not gonna sing that like i'm the movie star and you guys are going to wrap the songs around me which of course we aim to do and benj past like justin paul songwriters on all three of these projects are always looking to support singers but they also write aspirationally we're gonna take a quick break stay tuned for more of the episode and now we're back and so you know like with each of them it was a different encounter where it's like how do you balance sort of setting the bar casting the vision of what you're expecting but also not intimidating them and i would say you know each of them had their own process ryan is like ryan is just such a oh he's just such a boss because he will he was just like look ian i don't have a lot of time but i need to learn how to sing and i only need to learn how to sing these songs like i'm not looking <laughs> i'm not ever looking to sing again um and you know and, wow but like to his credit he took on that task we would meet on zoom weekly and then we had two full weeks of rehearsal where we did four to five hours of singing together every day and then we had recording sessions and we're on set and like he got in there he saw the assignment he sensed the assignment and he executed and yeah. like it was just it reminds me of the empire that he runs it's like why he can do that you know like my favorite yeah. image is him on set dealing with like a phone call about his maximum effort you know production company his cell phone company his football team the choreography being given to him me asking him to do something vocally the director asking him and he's just like yep got it got it got it got it and then he delivers um just did adr with him yesterday which is when you go back and like record some words and notes that don't totally match picture 
and I scheduled four hours plus another session. He he was like, okay, guys, let's do this. Um, and in two hours, we're out. So that's Ryan. And I, I think that he really did take on singing and he really, really um, has a natural talent for it. And I think people are really impressed and surprised. He also had a vocal teacher. So like my world is much more in the coaching of the performance and getting the stuff we need from him um, and shaping that and producing those vocal sessions and all that. Um, he also worked with Liz Kaplan, who's a master voice teacher. Um, yes, and, the best. Um, you know, she would meet with him once a week as well and work on overall vocal production and breathing. And he got in there and did it. Octavia, you know, was probably my favorite experience. Um, like, I'll never, ever forget this. Like <laughs> how you call her an experience. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I, she's an incredible Working woman. Working with her as an experience. Yeah, no, yes. no, she's, I mean, by yes. the way. No, I get it. Deeply it, incredible human being. But she, you know, was like, she listened to the song and was like, this is not what I do. Um, and she is someone who, like, when she's talked to her, I think she started in a place of passion and fear and, you know, really wanted to to just, like, figure out a way to get through this without having to sort of completely make herself vulnerable and mm. unpack her instrument and sing notes that she did not believe existed. Um, and we approached it very much like a monologue on pitch. And we made this agreement that, look, if this doesn't work in a month, like, yeah, the song can be rewritten and um, Benjamin and Justin will totally put it, you know, in your register in a place that you want to sing. But would you, through your vocal coaching voice training with Eric Vitro and then the song coaching performance training, which also, you know, dips into vocal training too, but we, Eric and I sort of work parallel to end up with the results that we end up with. Um, would you just like go on this ride and like first um, take this incredible lyric, this incredible moment and deliver it as a monologue. There's no better actor in the world than Octavia Spencer. And like her singing it or just saying it as a monologue like that would have been enough. And then it was like, okay, so now <laughs> I'm just going to play the piano chords underneath you. And it's just going to be like scoring. And that sort of started to take on this like vocal lyricism, still speech, but you felt like a little more of the arc. And then I said, okay, now we're going to add the rhythms. Don't over add the rhythms because we want it to feel natural. We want it to feel you, but this now exists in time. And then in a completely separate, non-acting approach, we're just gonna sing the notes so like you learn them technically. And we really separated all the elements and she was amazing and came at it each day, um, willing and fresh and very vulnerable because th this is a hard song. It gets really rangy, it sings in areas she doesn't, but it was like, we're never gonna perform it. We're just gonna work on the notes. And then there's one day where it's like, I think you're ready. Like now you can sing the notes, I'll accompany you. And we had to do this over Zoom. And it was one of the most riveting moments of my life because it's like all of a sudden you saw this actor-singer born. And she afterwards started crying. And she was like, wow. I get it. I can do this. And then, you know, it, it was like from then on, like this singing, acting beast was born. And like what I love is that wow. she sounds like Octavia Spencer. 
she's singing all these notes, but you're not thinking about the singing because you are so caught up in what is going on in her performance and the way that she's communicating, what she's thinking, what she's feeling, what she's wanting. I love that. Um, I mean, Pasca and Paul are are known specifically, I think, for for writing that type of stuff. And I mean, for those who don't know, I mean, they they wrote Dear Evan Hansen. They wrote or the music for Dear Evan Hansen. They wrote The Greatest Showman, which my kids are still yeah, obsessed yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. They, they listen to The Greatest Showman all yeah. the time. Uh, so they're like, can we go see that on, on the stage? Like, Not no, yet. One, one yeah, day, one day, yeah, one day my sons, one day, my sons, <laughs> all this yeah. will be yours. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to bring this actually to, to come from away. Speaking of performance, because uh, the, obviously there was, this, uh, there must've been some opportunity that you were like, I don't know yeah. what I'm doing, writing a musical about nine 11. That's weird. And then it's blown up and now it it is scheduled to play 670 performances to to close unfortunately on October 2nd this it's year one of my 2020. favorite favorite is, shows oh of all time oh my god oh, I but how that. did you how did you originally get, there. get connected <laughs> to come from away yeah. what was what was that I mean, encounter that you're encounter. like I'm gonna do that this. is an encounter and I'm the luckiest person on earth um so I started my career I didn't do the thing most people do and I think I benefited a lot from it and then also um, there's some prices I paid for it, but I moved to Seattle, Washington and became the music supervisor and director of new work development at the fifth Avenue theater, which was a theater very, very involved in sending musicals to Broadway and developing music. I love fifth Avenue. Uh, I do too. So you know, David Armstrong, do you know him well, from David is sort of he, responsible he was... for, I would say in many ways, my career, um, like wow small world i love how do you okay. know david we'll, we'll offline about david he's got a podcast with broadway podcast yeah. network oh, yeah. and he his podcast is all about how how jews queers yeah. and immigrants oh, made yeah, yeah, of course. theater yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so, so i know david very so well i moved to seattle i'm gonna tell you this is an i'm gonna get to come from away but i my wife and i were like oh, i don't know if we're feeling new york probably fear was a big part of it to be honest um and it's like let's move to seattle and I went and met David Armstrong and Bill Barry, who were running the theater. Uh, I was 23. And by, the only reason I met them was because I was doing a summer stop where I'd done arrangements for the Rocky Horror Show. They were needing arrangements for the Rocky Horror Show, so they wrote to me asking you know, if they could have them. Um, and so then I followed up and was like, hey, can I have a meeting with you guys? Met them. They were so like instantly welcoming. They're like, hey, why don't you be an associate music director on forum if anything happened on the way to happening you know in a few months i went there i did that as the associate to the really really talented and wonderful joel fram who's a broadway music director um and they instantly kept hiring me and then within six months david and marilyn sheldon who was the managing director they pulled me to their office i wasn't sure i thought maybe i was in trouble and they're like hey um so <laughs> Uh, you're really young and like, uh, you know, this is not traditional, but we would like to offer you a full-time salary job as the resident music supervisor at the fifth Avenue at age 23. Um, wow. and so I'm like, sure. And from there I got to just, I mean, fifth Avenue hires full orchestras of the most incredible musical talent. Seattle's an amazing theater and music scene. And so, you know, like at age 24, I conducted Sweeney Todd with wow. the 24-piece orchestra and an incredible cast. 
and started building and developing Broadway musicals. So fast forward, I'd done Christmas Story on Broadway, came back to Seattle, running the New Works Department, and Ken Al Hadif, who is a Broadway producer and also massive influence uh, board member, huge donor at the Fifth Avenue, is like, Ian, there's this show come from away, which I'd seen like a little sketch of at NAMPT, which is National Alliance for Musical Theater. And I remember it and being like, this is special. Like, this is special. It was early, early days. So this was about six months after that. He's like, and I think we should develop it at the Fifth Avenue. I'd like to, you know, come and do the very wow. first workshop with the director, the choreographer. And can you help, you know, put that together? Essentially, I would have been like a, a producer of that workshop, you know, as the Fifth Avenue New Works guy. And uh, it's like, of course. And, you know, we did it. And David Armstrong, Bill Berry, totally supportive, embraced it. Um and the director's Chris Ashley, who's someone I'd really been wanting to work with. And Kenny Colby is like, hey, um, David and Irene, the writers, the incredible writers, music director, got a Summerstock gig and he can't do this. So I want to put you forward for this. Um, wow. And I'm like, oh, amazing. Um, and so I met with David and Irene and we just like instantly clicked. They're two of life's greatest human beings. And um, we just really loved each other. And it's one of those partnerships where it's like, we each have things we do and we really complement each other. All of a sudden, you know, I was the music supervisor, music director, arranger for this three-week workshop. And you're right. The idea of like a nine, a musical, we don't call it a 9-11 musical. We call it a 9-12 musical because it's really about what happened after 9-11. Yes. But everyone else thinks yes. that it was a 9-11 musical. Uh, yeah. And everyone's so skeptical. And the commercial producers, Sue Frost, Randy Adams... Kenny and Marlene Alhadif, they're like, look, we just want to do this because it's beautiful. Um, if it ends up playing regionally, that's a win. If it ends up having like a very, very quick professional run at, and, you know, at a nonprofit in New York, that would be incredible. Um, and so we do this workshop. Chris starts working on it. Kelly starts working on it. I start working on it. This was the first like, hey, let's do this with 12 actors. One day, Chris and Kelly drag out a bunch of chairs. What would it be like if our set piece was only chairs and tables? We staged the first 20 minutes. As we're doing this, it becomes very apparent that like music never wants to stop and that music <laughs> wants to function like a film soundtrack. So in the room, a lot of the scoring that happens in between all the vocals is created and specified wow. and developed. I, you know, wow. created the vocal arrangements on the cast because it's like you have 12 people. They're singers, but they're not like ensemble singers. So I don't think I've ever done more like in the room. Okay, what if you sing this? And what if you sing this? And what if you just, you know, and just like making it up. And um, David and Irene are there and they're like, oh, that's cool. Oh, we hate that. Please don't do that. That's too musical theater. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, we start adding some traditional instruments. And we did this thing where we just did like first week, we just did a reading of it. Second week, we did a reading, but we decided to stage... I think five to 10 minutes of it and do it. All of this was for like safe, tiny audiences. And the third week we did more of a formalized presentation where 20 minutes were staged. Everything else was a music stand reading. I'm on stage playing piano, conducting, facing the audience because the band's on stage. And I'm always loving this show. I'm feeling like, wow, this is unique and special. But then I look up and I start clocking that not only is the audience engaged like this it's like this spell that's been cast on them but everyone is like 
tearing up, laughing and responding in moments that have nothing to do with each other. And it was like, oh, they're all running their own script for that week, having their own really specific experiences that many of them have not been able to even approach. The number of people who were 9-11 survivors, who lost mm. people in 9-11, who were profoundly impacted, that have come up after the show and said, I have not been able to think about this or approach it since it happened. This was the first safe space I could be in where I could wow. actually process and feel those feelings. Um, there were people who were in the Pentagon standing feet away from where the plane hit and watched like half of their office go away um, that mm -hmm. saw the show and this was the thing that helped them heal. Um, not to mention, even if you don't have a 9-11 experience, we all have an experience of Everyone does. something yeah. suddenly changing, suddenly putting us in a place of the unknown and fear and chaos and tragedy. And it's just like, it was just so clear that this material connects to the audience. And from then on, it was like we were on this very well-protected but constant development path from a first production at La Jolla Playhouse to the next production at Seattle Rep, to the next production at the Ford's Theater, to an out-of-town commercial tryout in Toronto, to Broadway, by way of stopping in Newfoundland and doing the mm. show as a concert wow. for the people whose story and often words the were tied. actual yeah. people. Oh, I have chills. In yeah. the ice rink. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'll, I'll never forget that moment. So... Come From Away has been a dream, you know, and then we do it, we set it up around the world, pandemic hits, and suddenly we're offered the opportunity to create a new version and do something that will hit living rooms and try to give them the experience of being in the theater, which is interesting because it's like, oh, well, that's just filming the show, you know, in the theater. It's like, actually, it's not because right. there's no way that a camera sitting in the house is going to give you the experience of being in the room with the people and like being able to see them and hear them and hear each other. And so great care and time went into how do we get an audience in the midst of COVID? How do we do this so that we can get cameras up close behind around, but also do it in four days as opposed to wow. something like Snow White, which just, you know, we filmed for four months. Um, and it's, you know, continuing to CGI and VFX for the next three months. So it's like, they're all this planning had to happen. And then, you know, the post process was um, our really wonderful director, Chris Ashley, um, just looking at hours and hours of footage. I think we had like eight to 10 cameras filming for four days straight. And so basically, like, how do we create the audience experience, but get everyone up close? And then on a music side, it's a nightmare because in a theater, everything can coexist at the same time. But in a film mix, you want to get all the live vocals, but those have to be totally silent. Like everything around them has to be silent. And you're not on a soundstage. Yeah. You need everything on multi-track. Oh my gosh. And then you have to get, we have yeah. live instruments on stage. We have pre-recorded band checks. Come from away, like my favorite thing about it is like the ensemble vocals function like score as well. So they are often right. singing while people are speaking or lead vocalists are singing and they're always providing this orchestration in addition to the orchestration 
we had to get that separately. So there's just a lot of work involved in how to record, how to capture, how to film, then also to get a full couple run-throughs with the audience so that we can get the audience response. And it was fascinating. We had to all live in a hotel for 30 days, um, wow. couldn't leave, couldn't go home. Um, and for me, it was an interesting time because I had already agreed and started Spirited, which was filming basically, or rehearsed during rehearsals, the last day of Come From My Shooting. So it's this time of like prepping for a big movie musical and also figuring out how to do this really unique beast of a theater piece for film. And didn't you get the original cast back together for the first time since opening? It, was most, I mean, it wasn't know. all of the original cast because something that was decided, which I think, you know, it's tough. It was, it was impossible to decide who should play these roles. But basically it's the cast that was going to come back once Broadway reopened. Plus hmm. Jen Colella because Rachel Tucker was in London and unable to get over here. So Jen came back, which was huge because Jen is our captain from day one, you know. And yeah. Um, yeah. so it, but it had cast some newer cast members. And, you know, very much the idea was like everyone, all of us. I had another Broadway show in previews um, on the day that everything closed. Diana? Yes. Um, and <laughs> that we all went home and everyone was out of work. So the idea was, well, we can't, like, we need to, like, stay loyal to and support the cast that is going to be coming back and that lost their work and their Ian, was Josh Breckenridge involved in that oh, at all? I, I know... love Josh. I yeah, love Josh. we interviewed Josh months ago. Oh, great. He you was. You got to work with him. He yeah. was. He is one of our six standbys who's been with us from day one. And uh -huh. they are the reason the show can play the way it plays because there's generally someone out. And these six people yep. have to learn these crazy yeah. tracks that are not ensemble tracks or one like oh i'm playing a lead and i just sing these songs it's like the math and the choreography and mm -hmm. the vocal mm -hmm. tracks and the timing that these people have to learn for up to six different tracks is remarkable all right one more quick break hang on a second all right here's the rest of the episode so ian what is the next uh chance that you think you are going to take what's something that you're evaluating Ooh, right now like <laughs> i'm i'm a little i'm nervous i'm fearful but i think i'm gonna do it can you give us a hint i, I can give you a hint um there is a project that has that was offered to me that would take me out of town for quite a bit of time um and it feels like a really really big commitment like I, I love big commitments but it's like years um wow. and so it's all in process and you know we'll see where it lands but i i am willing to take that risk because i think it might be something that's really really sort of groundbreaking that's exciting that was the greatest showman too uh <laughs> frozen three exactly exactly uh, it was one on. of yeah. my questions though for you ian was how do you decide which opportunities to follow and which ones don't feel right? Is there some sort of gut intuition? Is it who's on the project? Like, how do yeah, you decide? Yeah, it's got, it's got intuition. Um, mm. It's like, yeah. A, am I the right person for this? B, and it doesn't have to be that I have to have done it before, but just like, am I, you know, there are a couple things that have been offered that I'm like, you know, that'd be really fun. But I know that that's, there's going to be someone that that's their thing and that's not my thing. And then, you know, is it, I'm always drawn 
things at the high level. Like for me, there's something about working with the absolute highest level resources in terms of artists and the ability to do the job. And then I'm looking at like, does, yeah, does the material just excite me? And like, there's generally a feeling of like, I can't not do this. We say this all the time that like, never stop learning, never stop. uh, Yeah, never stop. Oh, keeping your mind open. Yeah, I mean, that's been my favorite thing about what I do is like travel, not travel in terms of vacation travel, but like just living in other cities and cultures. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. We need to let you go because God, I I want to talk to you forever. You guys, it was just a joy to talk to you at any time. Like, thank you so much. It was so fun. Take care. I don't know how many times I felt and actually said out loud, that gives me chills. Like, there were so many moments where Ian is experiencing something that is so life-changing and so unique and so incredible. And he shares it in a way that I'm like, oh, wow. So he put himself in a, into a position at a young age in his teenage years where he was a, was unafraid. He didn't know to be afraid and therefore created this foundation by which he could build on into his late teens and early 20s yeah. of all of a sudden being held... Uh, holding himself to a, a high, a much higher standard that adults still sometimes aren't even Absolutely. held to. Because, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I wanted to say slash ask to him when he's talking about working with all of these incredible celebrity artists, and and he said, you know, they they could push back. You know, I, I'm the talent here. You have to accommodate me. Is I imagine true artists are so thrilled to work with someone as passionate as him to trust his vision because they know that he's going to make them better. That's leaning into fear again, leaning, yeah. embracing that. Even if, you know, your your top stars, Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, uh, Renee Ziegler, all these people who can show up exactly like you just said and just say, I'm going to do it my way. Screw you guys. Mm-hmm. But instead, they're like, you know what? I'm going to especially his story about Octavia Spencer, right? I'm going to trust that uh, that the journey you want me to go on is going to work for me and I'm going to just give it my all. And and that, I think that speaks to a lot of, of actors and people in the creative space anyway. They get to the next step. They get to their next evolution in their lives because they're embracing that opportunity to, uh, I guess, give up a little bit of control and fall uh, learn from learn again we go back to learning to learn from these people who know things that are different from them and can and yeah. believe in them and know that they can help this person you know mold the raw clay into this finished character this finished product this finished song whatever Absolutely. it is yeah it's cool he's a neat guy um i am maybe more than anyone else we've ever interviewed i love following the path of chance with him like yeah. there are just so many like right conversation at the right time right place at the right time right just being there and getting that intuition and going yeah we're gonna do that so cool. yep yep and now you know the next project that obviously we don't even know about if we just hinted at it like that's it's the same thing he's just evaluating everything and seeing where it's gonna go i love i absolutely love that it's great I so can't wait. very cool well folks we hope you loved it as much as we did we want to hear all about it. You can connect with us on Instagram. We are 
was it chance on Instagram. Send us a DM or you can email us at wasitchancepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us how you're out embracing opportunity and chance and what you're doing. Uh, we hope that you continue to follow us on all of the appropriate platforms and share these episodes with your friends. That was nice. Yeah, thanks. I just did yep. that on the fly. Yeah, I didn't have <laughs> all right. or anything. <laughs> well, you've been listening to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking intentional risks for your creative life. I'm Alan Seals. I'm Heather Vickery. Until next time, take bye care. Bye. bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.